Welcome aboard the Adotat Show, where marketing, media, and ad tech converge. Fasten your seatbelts as your host. Hisat Latin steers you through the digital world of advertising trends and marketing innovation. in ad tech are you looking for a new role in the industry head over to jobsinadtech.com today employers attract top talent for as little as 50 pounds per open job role to the donut extravaganza the wildest no holds barred podcast in the universe of ad tech and marketing i'm your ringmaster pesach latin ready to lead you on an expedition to the chaotic sometimes cutthroat always entertaining world of hiring and ad tech and marketing hold on to your hats your headphones, or whatever else you can grab, because today we're not just diving, we're cannonballing into the deep end of the hiring pool. It's more twisted than a pretzel, more unpredictable than a game of twister with your in-laws. We're, taking, we're talking a world where the rules are made up, the points don't matter, and the only constant is change. We've got the creme de la creme, the top bananas, the MVPs of the industry ready to spill the beans on whatever it takes to not only survive, but thrive in the ad tech hiring arena. Imagine Indiana Jones meet the Wolf of Wall Street, but with more pixels and hopefully less federal investigations. Please feel free to slap on your best game face as we introduce the rock stars of the ad tech world. Leading the pack is the indomitable Mark Goldberg. Think of him as the business world's Batman, executive by day and a superhero strategy by night. Mark isn't just building teams, he's architecting empires with his bare hands. Over at Stages Collectives, he's spinning plates like a circus star, mastering everything from business development to recruitment sorcery. And if you're in the LinkedIn loop, you know Mark's the Gandalf of career wisdom, doling out job spells that turned average Joes into industry Frodo's. Next, let's make some noise for the sensational Paul Connecton. I'm glad I got to say it right this time. This guy's got more marketing mojo in his pinky than Madison Avenue boardrooms. Former CMO at Outbrain, Paul's not just playing the marketing game, he's rewriting the rule book. His mantra, turn marketing into a crusade, not just a campaign. He's the maestro making your brand stick in people's minds like the catchiest of earworms. With a Midas touch for MarTech, AdTech, and Data AI, Paul is a storytelling shaman. You wish you had at every brainstorm. And hold your breath. For the grand wizard of ad tech, Sean Black. With more experience in digital marketing than most have in binge watching, Sean's not just in the game, he's been making the game. As the current US General Manager of Daily Motion, the mastermind beyond VDO AI's North American journey, Sean's got digital wisdom that's off the charts. He's not just leading teams, he's mentoring digital marketing Jedis, always light years ahead of the curb. Ladies and gentlemen, Get ready to rumble as these three ad tech heavyweights step onto our podcasting rings. Issue one, the remote work rodeo, rodeo, yes, the remote work rodeo, ad tech's new frontier of the wild west. Hold on to your cowboy hats because the ad tech industry has gone full on wild west with this remote work craze. Thanks to our uninvited guests, the pandemic, Companies are now juggling Zoom calls instead of boardroom meetings. It's a new world where your office can be your kitchen, 
but is this a recipe for success or chaos? We've got teams spread out all over the place trying to keep the company culture alive through screens. Is this the dawn of a new flexible work era? Are we just setting ourselves up for a disconnected disaster? For Mark, digital dream or nightmare? Uh, TBD, I think is the-, the, the Mark short, first. Yeah, the TBD would be the short answer. Uh, honestly, I, I, I think it's great that, that companies allow for the freedom. I think it's been great for the bottom line for a lot of these companies. I think there's a lot of good things that come out of remote work if you have the right team to do it. Uh, the, the problem I have seen is it's the water cooler moments that have really helped the younger generation really grow. Those are gone. And I, I fear that like we've done the remote thing really, really well so far and getting better at it in some companies. It's just it, the potential to go wrong for the long term is my bigger. Is okay, me. Paul, you, you work remotely now? I do. Oh, sorry. I haven't always. But, uh, uh, there's been a lot of times that, that, that you know, I've spent years working remotely where I've started at a company in person, built that culture together. And then I wind up moving to the New York office or something. I think that would, that, that was pre pandemic for me. So I had some experience with that. I, I think you asked about ad tech though. Um, you know, the remote versus in-person debate is, you know, cross industry, but if you're just talking about ad tech, like we're not going and fixing oil derricks. Like most of what we do is serve customers. Um, the other part of what we do is build stuff. I think the, the serve customer stuff is like whoever's the best people who can be available and can, you know, uh, deliver the greatest experience to our customers, wherever they happen to be is, 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 is awesome. Um, we should be moving on the best talent we can find, you know, and, and I think also as we head into tougher times with the economy, it's always beneficial to be able to hire in lower, lower cost areas. Um, one of the greatest things I saw Yahoo do when I was there a million years ago was they would, you know, uh, move to a town like Nebraska, like Omaha, Nebraska, and they set up their, their op center there. And there was amazing talent there and the salary expectations were lower there. And now we're talking 2008, 2007, something like that. Um, it, it's, it, it's always been a good move for ad tech to find talent wherever it is. I think the, the in-person, the, the challenge of not being in-person with people is you can't build trust. I think it's a serious challenge. I don't want to hand wave over it. I'm, I'm a remote first kind of person, but we do have to figure that part out. Like, I think we should move beyond the should we or shouldn't we. Like, stop. That's that debate's over. Uh, you, you know, you're, the, the, it's in the ability to get somebody to work in person for you is inversely correlated to their level of talent. How much? You need. Sorry. But we do have to solve it. Like, we can't just say this is great. We, we figured it out. Uh, that water cooler moment that Mark mentioned is critical. I don't know how you get that. Uh, you know, you can you can get everyone in once a quarter. There's ways. I don't know if people are trying hard enough yet because we're still stuck in the. I mean, you want to get them back three, four, five days a week. I think we need to move past that. What What is the watercolor moment? What is that? Mark, you brought it up. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. Turn so I, is it, I mean, is that it as, talking about Seinfeld in the, in the day? No, I mean, you can talk about Seinfeld. It's a little dated, but that's fine. Um, I would say, you know, when you walk into, you know, walk by a, a big room and you see people in, the, in, in a room together and then people come out and you're like, hey, what was that meeting about? And you can kind of like have this aha moment, whether you're walking and seeing and bumping into the CMO or the CEO and you're like, hey, what's going on? Hey, let me tell you what I'm doing. Those little things are like, wait, who are you again? 
people don't know sometimes, you know, that have that relationship with the CEO in small, small companies or big companies. And it's like, wow, we, we go to the same conference room and the ability, and I'll tell you a fun story is I heard of a, a big company had a really special get room because there was not a lot of people there that day. They brought a lot of people in to kind of show, Hey, we're a big company. Those three young people that were pulled in there went and told the other young people. And all of a sudden they had nine people the next week. And so the momentum to get in, to get exposed to things that they would not be exposed to in just a zoom or, 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 or just a phone call. I, I think that's a lot, very, very much missing. And with that goes training and, 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 and just overall learnings for teams. And I'll let Sean go, but like, that's kind of what I was trying to say is that's what's the, what that's the kind of blind spots right now for a lot of remote. Okay. So, Sean, you've been doing this forever. So you have some insight into how companies are run. You first started, what, gray advertising? Was that your first? Back in 98. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, it's, it's really an interesting conversation because I think we're at a, a very pivotal point when we think about upskilling and bringing in, and I'm going to say this, uh, kids into the marketplace. You know, when we, a lot of us sitting around the room now are late 40s, 50s, 60s, right? We were around when everything was starting. And God knows for the last, you know, three or four years in the past, my shoes thought I died, right? We all were remote and, uh, and you know, barely wearing clothes that we have from our waist um, up. But the concern I really get into is, yes, I agree with Mark and Paul when it comes to that banter, right? The, the kind of togetherness. My biggest concern is skilling the kids and skilling the people who are coming into the marketplace now to actually understand how to work anymore. I mean, the, the difficulty is these are kids going from school platforms and, and being now in classes to expecting them to understand how to collaborate and work with others in an environment that you're seeing six people and half of them are, you know, a freeze frame of their pictures and they half don't have their cameras on. You know, so it's, I think it's a very difficult and, and large investment that companies have to figure out if you're going to have this hybrid, and we do too. I mean, look, we're in the office Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesdays and Fridays, we're remote. Um, and that's probably a lot for people at this point. I mean, the fact that we're in three days a week, but I'm finding that kids coming in, I'll give you an interesting story like Mark was talking about. I have a daughter who went to medical school to be a nurse and did her entire time in school, never going into a hospital because she was fully remote and, you know, fully at that time during COVID and graduates. And we watched her graduate on a TV together, sitting on our couches, having that practical knowledge and being able to actually know what it's like to sit at a desk and work in front of people. And I think that's one of the biggest issues we're going to have when we bring younger kids into the marketplace. They don't know how to work like, a, like a, an office setting. How do, how do people keep focus in a remote workplace? What, what are tools that are being used right now? <laughs> you know what? Um, I see from the worst to, you know, maybe not even understanding the best. Worst was I've been in companies where it was, we're putting tracking software on your computer and we want to see what you're doing every day. And the biggest joke is everyone trying to figure out how to move their mouse, you know, while they're not sitting at their desk so they appear to be focused. Um, 
but I think the largest thing for me is having not managers, leaders who understand how to simply find a way to engage with their, their team in this environment, not, you know, encourage people to be on a camera. Don't turn your cameras off when you're, when you're with people, understand how to look at a camera. You know, this is very difficult, right? When we're talking to each other, I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at a dot over my screen, you know? So, um, I think having leadership who understands to bring people on and force them to be in these environments together, even for five minutes or just check in, see, are you okay? Is everything okay? I think keeps people focused on what they're doing. Mark, how many jobs do you find percentage wise are remote versus required or hybrid? Required uh, in the office? I, I don't know if I can quote you a number, but it's a very much growing that everyone wants you more in the office. I mean, it's, and, and there's some now are very location specific. Um, so, so it is changing a little bit. Well, does you think what I see? Does everyone think this is going to continue to be a, a trend? I mean, I think we're definitely moving into where the expectation is two days a week, making themselves available. I mean, look at, you know, Mark and Paul said this earlier, Mark even said it in his beginning of his conversation about the investment companies have made, you know, they've got 20 year leases, they got 10 year leases. You can't just pick up and, and walk away and then say, yeah, you know what, we'll leave, we'll leave it as a bowling alley. I mean, it's those investments are made, you're coming into the office, you know, and, and you're going to have to start being, and I think it, to that point, it's not so much, and, and I agree with Paul, you know, look, if you're great at what you're doing and you're selling and you have that ability to manage your clients and have that service layer, great. It doesn't matter where you are. You could be on an island for all I care. I'm more concerned, again, again, how we bring up people and new talent into an organization or just people into the marketplace without yeah. knowing how to work in that way. Yeah, I don't know yeah, how don't people can be able to learn to work together. I think there's something about being in front of a person and working together and, and they're right in front of you. How, how do people, how do we keep this team spirit um, alive when everyone's just these squares on a screen? Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to, first of all, we have to make a decision that that's what we want. I, I think that we're still stuck in no man's land on whether this is something that we are going to continue supporting, you know, sitting in an executive team of a public company, you know, I got a first hand view of what it's like in those kinds of conversations when we're talking about a thousand people across the, the world and we're, what the hesitations are to signal too strongly that this is something that we condone. I think a lot of companies are still struggling with that. So I think there's a million and one ways to get people to get together in one place. I think the notion of intensive weeks and you know, on sites and things like that, they, you know, we could be using those quite a bit more. I think Sean's question is the, is really the, the one that cuts to the quick, though. That's great and all, but, like, there's an entire generation of people who don't have the experience that we have. We can do this, and I think we can be effective. I think high performers and executives that have, you know, built relationships over careers can do it from anywhere. Like, that's not a problem, but what do we do? Is it career stage dependent? Should there be a notion of, you know, two years of on-site? If you're if you're early and then who's there with them? You know what I mean? Like you need also the leaders to be there. So yeah. then you get you, know, you, you just don't send them to the office and there's no one sitting there with them to be yeah, there. Sure. Yeah. But maybe that's just something that the you know leadership team has to rotate in. And like I, I just feel like there's so many smarter people than me that can figure this out. 
I don't think I don't think it's a matter of skill issue. I think it's a matter of well, I don't know. Let's not hey, listen. Maybe they'll come back every day, and that's better. And and if it's leases, all that. Come on, we don't let anybody off the hook on a sunk cost fallacy, whether it's that or whether it's in any other investment. Like that, there's that they have leases is no longer the future's problem. That's the problem of the past. So like, I think we need to just come to terms that people are are, are not stupid. We we go into we're screen stereoraters and the same same screen here as it is over there and, and like ninety percent of the time when you're sitting at your desk is not the best spent time. I don't know though. I, I wish we were having more conversations about that. I feel like it is shifting in that direction, but still plenty of well, maybe we shouldn't do this stuff. And I think we'll never we'll never get the solution if that's where we're at. So, well, so Paul, you know, it's, it's it's interesting what you mentioned about what's the accountability. Like, do we have to also raise management to understand how they measure accountability and the performance of their individuals, right? Because I could talk to, like I said, companies that I've been where they're horrible mm -hmm. and all they were doing was counting for how much time your computer is on and what you're doing, right? Versus what the output is. So, you know, like I have a, a son coming out of college in another year and he's got an internship over the summer and he's going to be a hundred percent remote. And I love the fact that he gets that opportunity, but part of me is bothered that he's really not going to understand yeah. how to work, you know, like in that type of environment or how are they going to judge his success? Because it's just, it's just an output thing. All right. I asked you to do this. And if he got it done in an hour and doesn't sit by his desk, is that, you know, like I said, I, like you said too, it was all, we don't necessarily have the answers, but these are all the things that we have to figure out sometime. So Sean mentioned yeah. um, like technical. Uh, Sean mentioned that there is technical ways to manage teams and mouse movements, everything. If you're using those, I think that's just a bad culture and a bad organization with bad managers. It's all going to be about your manager. Mm -hmm. And if you can have a manager that one learns how to trust you, hold you accountable, it will depend on different roles. If you're a salesperson, those numbers are pretty clear. That's you're doing your job. But it's not just about managing for accountability, it's managing for stability. And I think that's the thing that people don't understand is the remote work does hurt a lot of people, even though they love it, their mental health is destroyed. These folks are sitting at home thinking, am I gonna get fired now because I read all the press? These people are like, how is the company doing? We don't really see everybody. I don't know what's going on. So there's a mental health aspect for remote where I'm thinking like that's gonna that's gonna pay, uh, be even worse for a lot of folks. If we don't start kind of doing that hybrid thing, coming in, learning, going back, doing, then, you know, we're going to be in a big world of hurt if people just stay completely remote. You know, Mark, I, think that, I, I just want to say something about, Mark, you made a great point about this health part of it. And I'm curious if companies should now start thinking about those types of investments. Do you start getting in-house not psychiatrists or, you know, like therapy, like you get people who can do regular check-ins and are you feeling okay? How are you doing? Like feeling like you've got this trusted person that yes, maybe that's part of an HR role, but that's a very interesting point is, are we doing enough? I wouldn't, trust them. People? <laughs> no, well, I wouldn't trust HR with that. Like no, you need like a, that's what I'm a, you know, a vendor. Quite frankly, how how often are you going to be? And they're like online remote work integration experts. I think going back to the, the the mental health thing was important. 
um, is, is this giving us more control of our lives? Or are we just blurring the lines between work and home? I mean, how do, how do people, I would say that a lot of uh, owners of companies might expect people to work longer hours, even if it's illegal or against, you know, or not a part of their job description. How, how do we not expect people to be working 12, 16 hours at their house then? I mean, uh, look, I, I learned to work. I probably work way more than I did in the past when I was remote because I didn't spend four hours on a train back and forth. You know, so I was gaining that time and found it was a lot easier to get up and hang with the kids for a few minutes, have dinner, do things. And then I'm working, sitting on the couch till nine, 10 o'clock at night. I think the thing is, is that we just shouldn't ever expect that. But, you know, it's that whole comment of you can't expect people to work like you if you own the company unless they own the company, <laughs> you know. Right. I mean, when, when, when I was early in my career, I worked at J. Walter Thompson and, and Zenith Media on the agency side. And I would work until 10 o'clock. I mean, I would shut the building and I'd go home. Um, that's until like these mobile devices came and these mobile devices came, like everything changed back then yep. where you started to work a little bit less in the office because you had the ability to return an email. And when Paul was knocking on my door at about.com and I told him no, because we already joked about that earlier offline, um, I, could, <laughs> I could respond to his email and it was nine o'clock and I'm watching Seinfeld is probably I was watching. The, 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 the dy dynamic has changed throughout the years. This is just another part of that dynamic where you just got to get your job done. And that's really ultimately that any, everyone only wants is to get the job done. That's a great point. Hey, moving, moving forward, the hiring hoedown, mastering the ad tech talent tango. Guys, we're in an era where hiring isn't just about snagging a resume with the right buzzwords. It's a full-blown talent tango, mixing the art of intuition with the science of strategy. How do you ensure you're not just adding bodies to the office, but bringing in the bona fide? I don't know where the rest of my paper is. <laughs> the bona fide rock stars. We're talking about the secret soft to shifting through the sea of candidates to find those gems who can jive with the company culture, innovate like Steve Jobs on a good day, and stick around longer than a season of your favorite binge washing. Cultural fit or misfit in the quest for talent, are we looking for people who echo our, echo our vibe? Are we just cloning ourselves? I work with a lot of um, folks and everyone has a different strategy around this. Uh, some people view it as I wanna get someone who's a very good compliment. Like one head of sales said, I want someone who could manage some, some of the headache off of me. Uh, they, they look for the compliment. And then some people just look at candidates and saying, they just know they're not going to survive here. It's not a good, it probably would not be a good cultural fit for them. Uh, I need them to have the same kind of more or less vibe for me. So I see a lot. It's very wide. I'm probably the wrong person to ask the question because I would give you the, the horizontal answer. But, uh, you know, what I've seen is, yes, there are a lot of ways to cut the, cut the, Cut it, and 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 I've seen it, and it's 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 a, it's not really an answer. I it, I'm giving a bad answer, but the answer really to me is yes. You're seeing a lot of everything. So, uh, right, Paul, do you like personally hiring people that are little Pauls or someone that compliments you? No. Oh Lord, no. Um, I think that <laughs> one of the most. <laughs> There's a lot I don't do well. I mean, really, like it's, it's, I think one of the biggest professional epiphanies I've had over the last 
five, six years or so, it's like, it's coming to terms with like, it's okay to be weak in areas. If you're really strong in other areas, and I, I didn't coin this, I forget who it was, was like, lean into the strong ones is, is, is kind of like the, the way to go at this point in an executive's progress is like, that's what you're special at. Now go find people who fill those gaps. I think that's, uh, that served me really well. I think that some, when you get to mar I mean, I'm a marketer. So with, you know, marketing is a catch all that covers a lot of different disciplines. Some of them very left brain, some of them very right brain, um, brand and storytelling and positioning and build, like you said earlier about building a crusade, like that stuff's not math. <laughs> and it's as far from math as you get. Look around me. There's instruments everywhere. This is, this is a creative room here. Um, it's not a, it's not an accident. Um, so I, I, I tend to want to hire to fill that compliment. Um, a lot yeah, of I had an advisor, a board member, Sam Beller. His, um, his son was a partner at Goldman Sachs. His, his other son was the drummer for They Might Be Giants. But Sam used to tell me that, you know, the kids band, yeah. um, if you have children, you know who they are. Um, he used to right, say, yeah. you know, don't you, you, you strengthen your strengths. You, you should focus on what they're good at. That's the position they should be in. You got, yeah. Um, Just to put it, I find it, you got you got to be good enough at something though for to, to earn the right to do that. You know what I mean? Like right. that's that's the early career stuff. You got to really bust your ass at something, and don't have this if you can help it. Uh, you know, and be ready to eat shit so that you're good enough at something that you can earn the right to say, "Yeah, I suck at that thing. I'm going to hire somebody to do it," and not have your boss go, "But I hired you to do it." Like that's that's just something you earn the right to do. But it's important to recognize it when it happens. It's better than trying to hide it, right? The, the, right. the, yeah, I, I, I personally hate HR. I am horrible at HR. Like, I despise it because I don't want to deal with people's reasons why they don't come to work. I actually hired someone twice. <laughs> so what I was going to say is uh, hire better than you. Like, you hire someone better than you. Hire someone stronger than you. That's what the mantra yes. has always been. But the problem is a lot of people don't do that because they feel like if I'm hiring someone better than, than, than me, then job and that's the mistake that a lot of people make is no you just build a bigger team and you're off to do things that you can do better and then you start to reallocate all the things that everyone else can do and i think i i, I think paul said it right i'm just saying it a little differently because you know that that is the mantra is try to hire someone better than yourself hire someone stronger yeah you know mark uh, that comment of hiring you know i always had this idea of look i want someone to want my job at the end of the day, right? Like you want those people to have that excitement because there's nothing wrong with that at the end of the day. You want my job, right. great. You know, I want you to do that. Or I had mentors in my career used to say, surround yourself with just great people, right? Like this henchman mentality, bring people around you who are going to, you know, want to go in that same direction and that excitement. And each one of you fills that pocket that you're looking for to finish each other's sentence in a pitch each other's ideas when you're sitting creatively coming up with ideas. I mean, you want those people. The problem is finding them, right? And going through what the marketplace looks like right now is a hodgepodge of everything where, you know, I get people who are submitting resumes now who have absolutely nothing to do with the job that I'm hiring for. And then people who somewhat Fugazi, right? Like they, oh, I did all this and I did all that. And then you come to find out that they really didn't do any of that. You know, what do you think is more important? I've seen all, I've been seeing all these personality tests. I'm not sure they're actually no, legal, no. 
<laughs> but you know these personality tests they ask you to fill out 50 pages of questions and you have to read they, they rewrite the questions so you have to answer it differently is that mm -hmm. important or is it just skills what do those personality tests prove anyways do any of your clients do that mark the personality tests not that i'm aware of i feel Paul, like it's, you... it's like trying to cheat a uh a lie detector test right yeah it's, right like they, 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 they ask you like to 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 order things like what's most important mm -hmm. in your life is it is it yeah. this this yeah. or this and there are, yeah, yeah but there's always been do that but it has nothing to do with our decision so it's like then what the hell are you doing it for <laughs> like <laughs> but I, I think our hr people using those i i i think they are but i i think as like Sean i've only ever seen them used as a descriptor Okay, so um, I was going to say, Sean said two things that are very important to kind of put that together. So, you know, he's saying you know, the Fugazi stuff where people are just faking until they make it. Um, people often forget that a phone call away, they're going to call an old friend who's went to the conference that they've been at that they know they work for. It's like you're dead in the water because I know that your boss and I know your boss's boss. Uh, people don't realize how close some folks are. Yes, you can say you're connected on LinkedIn. That doesn't mean anything. But, you know, Sean probably can go to a conference and grab four heads of sales and sit in the corner and talk about people, right? Um, but the other thing that, that you said, Sean, was was also like people are sending resumes that don't make a whole lot of sense. That, that's a big problem because people are just hitting submit and trying to upload everything and get interviews. And yep. that's a mistake I see all the time. But I think what that personality test does, Pesach, is, is kind of gives another layer of Hey, I, I need you to continue to show me that you're worth my time because you could be lying. You could be, you know, you might not be accurate, but maybe you are someone I want on the team. And so there's a combination of where that could play into, into being an important uh, hiring mechanism. I just haven't seen it. Yeah, I think maybe it also ignoring the legality of it. Also, you know, asking someone to do homework helps. I think it shows that the person isn't just pressing apply, 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 apply on LinkedIn over and over again, and that that's actually a job they're interested in. One thing I saw was, um, uh, you know, telling the, the, the recruiter why that job is interesting to you and, and, and doing a follow-up that, you know, this is actually one that I'm interested in um, for, for, for the same purpose, to show that it's not, you're not just pressing apply. Um, Honest, we all know that there is that anxiety, right? So I'm not going to discount that is that you go out into the marketplace and now you've lost your job, you've got kids, you've got family and, you know, you, you feel like you have to start spraying everywhere because even just getting a conversation or getting an interview, which could be completely irrelevant to, you know, if I interview for a plumber job, I know damn well I'm not getting it, right? But feeling like I'm actually talking to someone and getting the interview feeds something in your mind because you're out of a job. Right. So I get that part of it. The difference there is how do you have the right people to distinguish where that value sits within your organization, you know, bringing that right person in because it's it's all that clutter plus the people that you're trying to find that are right for the job. Right. So are we general genuinely grooving towards a diverse work face? Or are we just doing the diversity two step show uh, and, and, and are we just hiring, you know, bald white guys? <laughs> No, it, is the, it is a new look. <laughs> it, it, it is new whether we like it or not. Mark, what are but, you seeing? In the, no, I, I think... Uh, in the diversity. Are, yep, there are a lot of uh, very careful and very thoughtful um, groups that I get to work with that want to see 
a lot of different types of candidates. Um, I, I don't think uh, this is a this is just a fad. I think this is very important to a lot of organizations. Um, I think it's somewhat unfortunate right now that some of the bigger groups right now are uh, slowing down the diversity hires because of just the market, which doesn't really to me make sense. Starting to show, you know, whether it's female, African American, you know, there's a lot of different groups uh, that are now you know, getting a chance because it's important to the business. Right. Well, I just, it did, I thought about this the other day too, is that also understanding the marketplace in which you're working in, you have that context, right? Let's, you know, the diversity. Yeah. I'm like, you know, right, wrong or indifferent companies feel like they have to check the box, but a lot of times the marketplace is changing in a way where that diverse, that diversity and specifically even in marketing, right, is becoming a much larger part of what we're thinking about how you market to those individual, uh, you know, whether it's LGBTQ, whether it's Hispanic, whether it's African-American, but having talent and people who live within those markets also are important in how you go and represent yourself and market to those. Right. So I think the diversity also comes into that play. It's not just about checking the box, but getting the right people in the right seat against the things that you're trying to accomplish as a business. Yeah, I think for me, it's just increase the denominator as big as you can make it when you're looking for the right person for the right role. I, it's just as simple as that to me. Like, I think that if you're not conscious about increasing the denominator, you'll go toward paths that are comfortable and people go toward paths that are for people, you know, that have people that look like them and, and have a vibe like them. And, and then you're, you're not only you're shrinking the, 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 the pool of talent that, you know, that you're going to be able to go for but it's also, I think the second part of that is that we're in, we're in advertising. Like, we advertise, we, we help power companies that advertise to everybody. And if, it, you know, I think it's not necessarily, you don't have to be a certain, look a certain way, believe a certain thing, be from a certain culture to understand how to market to them. But it sure helps. And, and it sure helps to, to have a diverse set of, of, of opinions about that and experiences that they can relate to. So I, I think it's just in, like a, the business interest of these companies to do it. I, I think, again, like remote work, we got to stop thinking either or. I think that there have been ways that it has not worked out yet. I think everyone would agree that is not that is not an indictment of DEI more generally. It's a hard problem to solve. Like it's going to take more tries than just oh well we tried it sorry it didn't work let's go back to the way things work. Um, I don't think that's where com real companies are going. I think that's where Twitter like they they a lot of people like to troll about that kind of stuff. Like okay D and I yeah I just saw the the Mark Cuban uh, Elon Musk yeah you did, know conversation on Twitter about this today better than I could yeah. I mean, yeah, diversity provides, it allows you to have diverse talent. And I think that's what we need in this industry is talent. And if you're having trouble finding talent, go outside the box. And if that means going down the block a little bit more than your, in, in your current block and, and, and meeting different people, that shouldn't be an issue. And I think Mark Cuban did say it. It's not that we're looking, we're saying we want to hire someone of this specific checkbox. We're right. saying that we want to expand our, our, our pool of candidates and, 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 so how, how do you reach out to those people who may, you may not even personally know? Um, how is the problem that we were talking about earlier about being remote and growing up in this marketplace, right? We talk about diversity and, and the challenges with technology or having all the things made available. So now as we th start thinking about that workforce 
but are we also making it more difficult for those certain groups to get into those jobs or have those opportunities because the technology has forced it now to where you have to have the computer, you have to have all these things because this is now the world that we live. I mean, yeah, I don't and maybe know. the yeah, maybe the twenty-one-year-old guy with you know who who just graduated college and he's still living with his parents and his the six children can't actually set up remotely in his place. And you know, and as I, I think I'm not saying remote work requires a lot of money, but for a lot of people, it requires at least a space that isn't constantly being bombarded by kids. You know, that's that's why I have my own. I literally we built a little uh, um, shed in the backyard. You know, so the kids won't bother me. So. But that requires money. Yeah, well, that's, I, you know, we as a company actually provide a stipend. You know, when people join and, and if you're really 100% remote, we're giving you money to build out, whether it's to get a new table or a new chair or something mm -hmm. to create comfort within that space because we know how difficult that is. So I think that's part of the consideration within companies is to think about how they make that investment for those people to be remote. Okay, moving on. Retention rate, once we got the party started with top talent, how do we keep them from doing the goodbye boogie? And this is close and personal to me. I feel like I've always, last 20 years, hire someone. You know, we, we negotiate the salary. They want 225, they show up to work, and a week later they quit for a better job. Or a year later they quit. How do, we, how do you retain people in this marketplace? Uh, it's hmm. become a very big problem. Um, and I think it's going to get a little worse because uh, I was there was a Wall Street Journal article that I was I was quoted in and I was part of that uh, they were talking about the downward pressure on prices. I got a job a JD sent to me from someone. I said, "Oh, what is it? Like one one sixty again?" They're like, "No, it's one forty now." I was like, "Oh, another roll comes in from one thirty to one ten. Oh, so we're going down from the price of where these people were." I think it's going to come back in a year or so and everyone's going to be like, I want those high prices again. And so I think you're seeing the salary uh, bump come down where people are going to take jobs and they're going to take these jobs just to take a job. And in another year or two, we're going to have another like mass exodus of people when the market does come back. So the question is, Mark, does the company then want to make the investment to make up the difference in losing the person? Yeah. Uh, right. So person came in at 130 and now in a year is saying, hey, look, I could jump for 160. 100%. The question is, the company is willing to do the 160 to keep you. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think there's a lot that's going to go in there. I think it's not going to be done in a vacuum. Like, right. Yeah. I mean, you're coming in, you're trying to do your job. If you're in sales and you're hitting your number and you're doing what great on the back end and you do want a little bit better base, you go back to your manager and say, hey, you know, let's let's have a conversation. Um, but, you know, the company's also got to do a better job of trying to retain give them the benefits and give them the things that they want to be successful. And, you know, you, you, Google does a great job of giving free food and, 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 and massages in the middle of the day. Oh. Not everyone's Google, right? I mean, you can't do that. So what do you do? And I think that's going to need to be thought through on the remote living. How do you keep people continue to stay on? Is it just giving them that right to stay more remote? I don't know. But, but you're, you're hitting on the point where it's going to come back to haunt people. It's worth a lot of money. Exactly. I laugh yeah, about the comment. Oh, go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. I think the your point there, you know, we're not going to be able to compete with Google, and it's not. I think it's not because of the cafeteria so much as it is the stock. I think that it's uh, everyone's competing with Google and Meta and Amazon, uh, 
for talent when like, yeah, okay, their culture's awesome. No, no, it's because they're making millions of dollars a year. Like, I think that the remote thing is interesting. That's a that's a trump card to some to some extent. Like, let's let's look at let's look in a different place for talent. Let's look in let's look in Omaha. You know, let's look wherever. Let's let people have that freedom and play a different game. You know, um, I think that when you have a situation when somebody is, I mean, the market will pay, employees will stay so long as the market will bear. I, I think that if you are if you think you're getting away with something underpaying people. That's it's not going to work. I mean, it's. Uh, I think sometimes what happens is a company may not be as committed to the role being filled as they think they are. I know that sounds a little cryptic, but like, you know, you might get approval for this senior director uh, as long as they cost what what today's costs are. But as soon as that senior director starts getting expensive, the company may think about why do do we really need that many people on that team? Like. And, and so it may not be a failure necessarily. It may simply be that like the, the, you know, the company can't, can't bear to have that many roles if that's what those roles cost. It's not to say that person can't go work at Meta and make more money and they should, but it is, it, it does give us pause about thinking about why do we have this role in the first place? We can't afford to fill it properly. Uh, that, that's a, that's a question I've asked uh, myself <laughs> first, but other, others I've worked with is like, you know, if we're not willing to pay what the, what, what the market's worth, why don't we just not hire this person? We'll just don't do this then, you know, because you'd rather not do it than do it poorly. Yep. It's, it's you speaking meta and Google. Do you think there's a tendency for people to want to hire people out of those companies instead of people who might have more diverse experience? And, you know, if you, you worked at, yeah, if you worked at Google, if you worked at meta, you must be, you know, you're big, you must be the best. Yeah. But if you worked well, at, you know, company awesome ABC in yeah. Jersey, you know, sorry, big never, difference. So. To me, that's never been a, I mean, it's, we know we've been around long enough now where we could see people who've been in small companies and killing it and been a part of the industry for a long, long time. And, you know, at companies, you could sit there and go, I don't even know where you were, and but they're awesome people. I mean, I, I, I can't say that the company, if you come from Google or if that means anything to me nowadays, not really. Half the people and don't even remember when we were bottle service in 99. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, uh, what everyone's talking about, AI, moving forward. Here's a real brain bender. AI and ad tech is like a sci-fi thriller come to life. You've got Spotify making everyone's year with Spotify wrapped, and then boom, they fire 1,500 people. And data miner, they're not far behind, cutting 20% of their workforce this year. It's like AI is the shiny new toy everyone wants, but at what cost? Are we trading in our human capital for lines of code? This isn't just a tech issue. It's a human one. Is the AI magic wand, of the, is AI the magic wand of the future? Or is it just a sneaky job snatcher? Is AI and ad tech a game changer or just a fancy way to fire people? But are you um, thinking about AI? Well, you brought up two different things there. AI from a people perspective or AI from how we can utilize it to do the insights and the things that I'm excited about. For, uh, you know, I'm hearing about people being fired left and right. What was what was the company that just fired a bunch of writers and then put out an ad looking for AI writers or something? Like AI um, prompt technicians or something, like to be able to do the prompts to write. Weren't they firing people before that, though? Like, I, I don't think, I think these are maybe unrelated. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good reason. 
you know, yeah. I, I do think you know, there's, there's perception is reality, as they say, right? Yeah, sure. But there are so it doesn't really matter. It's it's the perception, right? Um, there's like you know AI generated uh, uh, ad copy, product descriptions, things like that. There's a company called Carpio out of the UK right. that's doing interesting stuff. Uh, is, is that going to disintermediate humans? I don't know. I mean, it's like it's going to make it so that you'll be able to do it better. I think that that copyright, you need a human being as part of that. If you're a brand with any with any equity at all, like you're not you're not just going to let AI just, you know, I'll use the term content diarrhea again. In a sec, two out of two right. podcasts of yours. You're not going to let that thing just go loose on your brand. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, fewer designers, probably fewer copywriters, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I use Grammarly. I love it because it gives me, you know, I can ask Grammarly, to, you know, I'll have like three points and I can't figure out like the fourth point. And I'll say, you know, find me another mm -hmm. fourth point or it will give me like a, a prompt to finish the sentence. I go, you know, that's actually better than what I was thinking. Um, I find it very useful. So, so going back to We Spotify, use AI a ton in, in a lot of our outreach. Yeah. Um, I was going to say back to Spotify. I, I think since they're a public company, um, it's a little different. I think they have always been under an immense expense issue with with the the, the, the artists and, and that, the money that they need to pay them. Uh, their top line is whatever it is, but I, I think the difference has been they need to show growth and showing growth by showing the margin change of removing some staff is, is a path. And that's true for all public companies. And so when you look at the public companies, you look at what they do and what they say. And if you do use the words AI in any earnings call, you're looked at as a very progressive, important CEO that's looking at the future. And so I think to your point was, this is a nice way to, nice way to fire a lot of people. Uh, sorry, a, a mean way to fire a lot of people. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> they did. It's not like AI is going to take over Spotify. AI has already been a part of Spotify. That's what Spotify Unwrapped does. But like, you know, I, I think they kind of, we're, 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 we're looking at that side of the house of, of trying to say, is Spotify doing something? I, I just think they were being jerks and hiding behind what they had to hide behind. What is the sweet spot between AI's efficiency and keeping real people in their jobs? I, I love it for a lot of the stuff that we do from uh, CRM and out like a CSR perspective, outreach, helping them think about new ways to write, using some of those insights. I mean, I think as a tool, I think it could be really incredible. I think of part of what we have to figure out is it's more about what are the industries that are gonna be affected. I mean, we sit in advertising the way we're all sitting here, like Paul was saying, copywriters, you still need people. You still, you know, you come up with neat stuff that an AI pumps out, but you know, to have our industry impacted, I think it's from more of an insights and, and that type of thing. Whereas, you know, Amazon could probably use one person in an entire warehouse and have, you know, it run. So just. How do we use AI in, in the job market? How do we use it to actually find job seekers? I, I know it's, I, Mark, you, do you have any experience with that? Um, I don't. I mean, you know, I use LinkedIn Recruiter and it has a new AI feature where it helps you write different things. I don't use it, um, but but it's available. I think there's a lot of uh, potential AI and I don't remember some of the companies, but they're looking at resumes and bubbling up the right ones based on a lot of the criteria that you're putting in. That's kind of a search engine, but, you know, it's still the same uh, thought process. So, so there's a lot of different tools that are going to come out, um, I would say, in the future. 
but it doesn't it doesn't will you will you in the future be hiring ais you think like you'll be at they'll be at you'll, your job will actually be to find a new ai to take that job i don't um i i think there are going to be a lot of applications that are going to augment a lot of uh roles like the customer service roles um a lot of the but i just, i just don't know what Customer service, as in, you know, you call in a website and you see all that stuff that's existed for a long time. It's just getting better. And you can have conversations on the right rail with some chatbot. That's AI. It's always been there. It's just getting better. And I think those chatbots are going to translate into internal tools and some potential other tools, which would make a lot of people's lives better. It doesn't mean these, place, these jobs are going to get replaced. Will, will, will people become better employees or worse employees? Will we be more lazy expecting like the computer to do everything for us? Uh, that, that, that's, I think, the concern is, is people are going to shortcut. I mean, you can write a term paper now with using ChatGPT. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, you know, do, do we turn into the marketplace of Wally, like the, the cartoon, yeah. right? The guy who the, the, you got everyone sitting in their chairs and just doing nothing. Right, getting fatter and fatter and fatter, and you know, you got a guy who's uh, running a spaceship who just Let keeps talking. Problem, though. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to have that option, right? We don't have to get fatter. We can just be healthy while the thing goes and buys itself heads for us. I mean, it's not so bad. You put it that so way. I want the. I just want the chair. <laughs> Drinks. Yeah. Sorry, just by the way, it does edit all the the oh, pauses and stuff ai actually oh. does it we it's ai looks for the pauses removes it and other stuff it's actually pretty there cool yeah i mean it's a perfect example like I, I don't know if i could actually do this um a few years ago when everything wasn't automated now everything's automated like i don't have to spend the enormous amount of time editing because it does a lot of the ai built into this edits for me and you know it obviously does the transcript and when i go to the transcript it lets me edit and that's it's enormously helpful because i don't have to actually hire an editor where when i was doing a show about five years ago i actually had to pay someone like two three thousand dollars a month to edit all my stuff and you know now i'm just you know throwing it up there telling it what to do you know i go through the uh the transcript, I pick the little parts off that don't make any sense and it cuts it out and, uh, you know, it works out really well. And we're almost about done now. Look, we don't even know if it's really you. <laughs> it isn't. That's true. Yeah, we don't know if you exist. My wife says that all the time. Um, <laughs> if you could, before we go, if you could send a time traveling text message to yourself when you first started ad tech, what single piece of advice would you give about hiring and building a team? And hey, no spoilers about any stock market tips or sports bets. First, Mark. Um, I used to say hire slow, fire fast. Um, I'm not sure I still agree with that. Um, I would actually try to hire fast because one of the things I've learned of running a business is you set the wheels in motion and you look at your plan. And if you're not, here, then you're in trouble. If you're not here in the plan, you're, you're dead. And so you got to get to your plan quickly. And that requires a lot of the people that you just put on the, the org chart. And so you need to hire the salespeople, you need to hire people. And so I, I like to say the right. speed is very important. And I don't think I would have thought that originally. I thought it was, hey, let's get the right person in. And if they're not working out, fire them. I'd rather get the person in quickly and figure out how to make them successful. Yeah. Um, the things that you end up having to part ways with people for, 
you knew when you interviewed them, didn't you? Like that that thing. Like it's sort of the you need to you know. I think it's easy sometimes to ignore uh, when everything else is great about an employee, and it, right? But there is something where they're just like, to that place you need them to. I think the hardest part of the job is coming to terms with that. That no, they're not. Like it, it, in spite of the investment you're making, sometimes you just that's it's not working out, and it, you know. I think I can almost in every case I can tie that back to a reservation I had earlier. You know, maybe that's just survivorship bias or availability bias. I don't know which bias that is where you, you fix it. Oh yeah, I knew. Um, but generally, you know, it's also a failure to, to help them work on that thing. Sometimes that gets you in that position. I'd probably tap myself on the shoulder and be like, eh, should probably, you know, look into those things more, 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 more deeply that bother you. In the outset, there's a few people you wish you fired sooner <laughs> or didn't hire. I think almost every manager probably says that there are instances that they've, they've moved too slowly on that. And last, Sean, what would you tell little Sean? <laughs> you potentially not going to have as much hair as you think you, you're going to have. Um, <laughs> also, well, as, far as, as long as I've known you, you've, you've had the same haircut. <laughs> Um, you know what? I, 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 a, a big combination between what Paul and Mark said. I think um, this idea of learning that it's really, it feels right. Like you just, you have that sort of intuition. And, and I, I think um, this idea of hiring someone walking down the street, having a cup of coffee with them at times is the better decision than the person that I looked and, you know, had that resume and all those kind it's just, I don't know. I, you've learned over time that this intuition of how you feel about a certain person, how they're going to fit and how they are a part of the organization that no one, look, no one has a crystal ball, but I think we've done it enough where you start having that emotional feeling. And, and I think that's, I have to trust that more than it was before. And that's all folks. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform or YouTube.